The Fake Show podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Hutchison & Stephan, North 5th Brewing Company, Threads of Envy, The Tone Factory Recording Studios, Moonshot.com t-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now, last week we had the, we had the pleasure and privilege of speaking with Dickie Smothers, mm-hmm. the straight man of the Smothers Brothers. Right. And he had a lot of great stories. Absolutely delightful guests. He was fun, but there was half of the story missing, I think. And that's where Jim comes in. Dick said himself that Tom was not a morning person, so the only way we were going to get to see him is if we got to uh, the show a little bit early over the weekend, which we went to. Now, I had planned to go with you, but Tootie, my dog, had surgery on her knee, and I had to stay through the recuperative process. She had just come come back on a Saturday, so. And so Bruno and I went and uh, saw Dickie at the front, and he's he's made it a point to shake the hands of everyone who was walking into the show over at the Sahara Congo room. That's nice. That's cool. And uh, imagine the out of towners, though, thinking, you know, going to the typical Vegas show, and there he is. There he is. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And he looks just like himself. Yes, he does. And he, so he <laughs> said, "If you guys want to meet Tommy, hang on a second, and I'll send you up to the uh, dressing room." They took us back, and Tom was standing there with a glass of wine. We just thought we were going to shake his, his hand tux, and yeah. say hi. Sure. He was all set to go on. There was probably twenty minutes before showtime, and as a matter of fact. The interview went long enough that it delayed the start of the show, as it turns out. That's our Jimmy. And so uh, we thought it was just going to be a high and we'll have a good show. But it turned out to be, let's sit down and talk for a while. And so here it is as we talk to Tom Smothers backstage Saturday night. Two times when we're talking together, I mean, all of a sudden it's like, uh, I mean, you guys can do it. But I mean, it's like when we go on a Tonight Show or... uh, Letterman show? I mean, the two of us are sitting here, and who's... How do you... Somebody trying to cut each other off. That's why there's no comedy teams anymore. It's so hard to do. It's a different interview when you have just... It's a better interview when you have one, because you get one side of it. When you do go on a show like Letterman, how is the timing? Well, it's it's like our our act on our stage. Uh, At least we have it choreographed a little bit. We know. But on a, a... a Letterman show, for example, we have a discussion before who's going to sit next to him or who's going to sit on the outside. And sometimes, uh, because my brother Dick always works on my left, so to your right out there in Radio Land. But if you're looking at us, he's on my left-hand side and I'm on his right side. All our pictures are that way. And we're used to doing our uh, turns and stuff to each other that way. So he said, but you'd be better next to Letterman because you're the funny guy you do that. And you can work between the two of us. But when Dickie says something, for 38 years, we've been standing this way. And so we've tried it both ways. No matter what side the uh, host is on in these talk shows, and it's very difficult because we don't know who's going to uh, be on because it's very improvisational. Who's going to be on? We're not. We're sitting down. We're not standing up. We don't have our instruments. So. Oh, and plus you have the third, the third man, the host involved in the whole thing. The host. And, and you know, when we first did Letterman, it's a great story because we were watching him. He was t- treating everybody so rude. You know, he kind of. Uh, kind of sarcastically introduce him, yeah, that, like he does Petrix. Right. Uh, and so he said, well, we got the Letterman show. Oh, man. I said, well, at least he can't get both of us because there's two different personalities. It'll be very hard for him to nail us both. One of us oh. will get a shot at him. I don't know. <laughs> and we go on with this kind of an attitude, and, we, and we're back there, and it's cold. And he says, oh, here <laughs> are two guys, this letter, two guys that I love. I just love these guys. I watched them when I was a kid. And we go out and we sit down and he says, man, I'm such a fan. And we're, we're all kind of wired for this, this thing that's going to come and it never dropped, you know. So uh, I think when you do a show like with my brother, you, you talk with Dickie uh, and you get a, a clearer, I think there's a clearer interview. 
But when one of us is doing it and we're talking to each other, then it's when the two of us. It's a, it's a more difficult interview. It, Dick told us that you were the guy who uh, kind of got things going when you had a band like the Who on or, or one of the rock acts that was cutting edge mm-hmm. in those days. You kind of had the idea for things to explode or for something weird to happen. Whenever we had a guest on, particularly rock groups, were like we were the first uh, show that really had live performance. Ed Sullivan had uh, with the Elvis and some of the groups, but all of the rock groups we had them were had them performing live. We wouldn't allow them with Jefferson Airplane and all that stuff. Uh, when that thing exploded on the Who, did Dickie tell you that it, it was the reason that it was that uh, when the Who was on, the union guy said we load the cannon. It was a little tiny cannon, and uh, the drummer Keith Moon says, "I, I always, I always, I do, I." <laughs> no, but the union, we load the cannon because it's under... So they load the cannon during dress rehearsal. didn't go off. Nothing happened. The guy said, don't touch the cannon, we're the union. So they, they put a load in, and, and Keith, he put a load in. It was like a triple load. <laughs> well, when the thing went off during the show, I mean, I thought that... I mean, I looked around. I was, I was kind of... Uh, I think that's where when uh, Townsend lost a lot of his hearing because yeah, he was right in right. front of that band... And I remember it totally different because once I saw, I thought Keith Moon was knocked off the back of the uh, right uh, the thing. But I was looking for shrapnel, and I was, I mean, things were ringing, and Townsend was shaking his head. And, and as it was scripted, and I had a guitar, and he grabs a guitar, and he takes it, and he smashes my guitar. <laughs> well, we knew that was the time, but I was looking around like I was really concerned for people's welfare. So it looked so real, and Townsend's head was ringing. And both I, I remember the look <laughs> on your face on that tape. You looked really stunned. Yeah, well, people thought, wrecked your guitar. <laughs> so those, those are the funny things that happened. We also had, I ran into uh, Stephen Stills just uh, recently at a, at a golf tournament, and um, we were talking about Buffalo Springfield, for what it's worth, was premiered on the show. And, and, wow. And uh, let me see, who else? Oh, and I remember listening to uh, Graham Nash, who was originally with... Uh, uh, the Hollies. And- yeah, we had the Hollies on. And then uh, uh, Stephen Stills and uh, David Crosby, who was uh, one of New England, we're all folkies then, playing yeah. folk music. And I had a party during 1967 up at the house. His mother's brother's or 68. And he had Graham with him. He said, you got to come back and listen to this. And I said, what is it? And I got his guitar out. And one of the rooms, starts, they started singing Crosby, Stills, and Nash. But it was just Graham and, and, and Crosby singing. Before it ever really Before officially. got to the third voice into it. And it was okay. just... Uh, wow. And also during that time, um, we had guy, Simon and Garfunkel on the show and... Uh, I had him sing uh, 59th Street Bridge because I liked the song. Ah. Uh, Mason <laughs> Williams at that time, the number yeah, one yeah. song that won the Grammy in 1968 was Classical Gas in the middle of the Beatles, in the middle of all the rock. Here was this Classical Gas, an instrumental uh, song of the year, but people don't remember that, but, I mean, it was in the middle of all that change in music, and and he kept playing. I, he lived at this house. I, we shared a house up there, and he kept playing. I said, Tom, listen to this. I changed it. He started right from the beginning. Then when Art and Paul, Paul Simon and Garfunkel were playing at the Hollywood Bowl or the Greek Theater, I went back and saw him and, and Mason said, let me play a song for him. And got Paul Simon said, Mason wants to play a song for him. I've heard it a thousand times already. And he starts playing, da 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 and Paul's looking and says, yeah, pretty nice, pretty nice. <laughs> then he goes and records it. Number one, we pre- premiered it on the show, and it was a turn of number one song. In the I was the only guy that had a regular job. I mean, I had the, the Smothered Brothers Comedy Hour and when the Monterey... Uh, First Monterey Pomp Festival, 1967, I think it was. A summer of love up there in San Francisco. Now I was up there, and I was supposed to be the... Uh, uh, John Phillips of the Mamas and Papas was one of the promoters of it, and he asked me if I would be up there, and uh, the monkeys were just happening then, too. And they asked me if I'd... He said, Tommy, come on up. It's going to be very far out, man. And 
And you'll be uh, you'll be one of the rodeo clowns. You know, the one that does the time in between when the new bands are setting up between Janis right. Joplin and uh, The Who or between Ravi Shankar and whatever it is. And Anyway, I got a uh, torched one, and everybody was uh, pretty well buzzed uh, at the Monterey. <laughs> And there was some uh, Owsley, they called it Owsley ass was around. It, was, it, was, it wasn't even illegal at the time. And so anyway, was, I went out the first time. I said, man, there's five or 10,000 people out there, or whatever it was. And I said, they're all pretty well uh, stoned. I said, I guess, uh, I think maybe I can perform to that. And I had a buzz on. I went out there, and all I said was, I looked at it going, wow, man, far, far out. I hid the rest of the time. They never saw me. That was the end of it. I mean, I got so paranoid and... Uh, and Dewey Martin, who was the drummer for the Buffalo Springfield, grabbed me and said, Tommy, you're sing this thing. you got to meet this guy. you got to meet this guy. Shrugged me over backstage, and there was some tents and little things. And he says, come on, sit down. Look, this is Tiny Tim. I, and he sat me right across as close as I am to you. Took out of his paper bag the ukulele and starts tiptoe. He said, you got to get him on. you got to get him on. I mean, I was, I mean, I was there. I don't remember a lot of it. Because if you're in the 60s and you remember sure. it, you weren't there. It was uh, something like that. That's amazing. I had met a lot of people. They said, you ought to write a book because you had one foot in rock and roll and one foot in the traditions. Like we had Jack Benny and George Burns and, yeah. and Lana Turner and uh, Betty Davis. We had classics. And we had we mixed them with these rock groups, which was great. And uh, if I could remember, I should have written it down <laughs> when it happened. But who knows? You know, when you're in the midst of living your life, you don't know if it's history or it's historic or anything. It's just uh, you're being there right then, and that's it. You guys are such high energy. How you be able to keep up the um, spirit so long? Oh well, we give it up every once in a while. A lot of people thought we passed away in 1969. So. So uh, when I, I'm on a plane or something, someone says, God, you know, I love you guys. Man, you made such an important impression on my life. And I go, so what are you doing in uh, Great Falls or something? I said, uh, we're performing here. He says, oh, wow. You still working with your brother? I said, I mean, I can only do about 10 minutes by myself. You know? But, uh, you know, if you're not on television, you don't have a hot record or something, uh, uh, people tend to forget that you're working right. but when you're in a, every town you go to every city gosh it's great it's like you're a, you're hot you fill the room you fill 2,000 3,000 people and they're, they come there it's a concert and they it's very exciting this and when I got off the plane in Las Vegas five days ago I said oh man I just saw there's more things of chance jeez I'm seeing I know Bill, I said, God I felt like a little tiny minnow Goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> and we worked here in 1965 at the Sahara, yeah. and um, our first job was in '62 or '63 in uh, at the old Flamingo when it was just a two-story. When the guys were there, oh, you yeah. know, in the candlelight room, the House of Lords here at the the Sahara used to be the gourmet restaurant, uh, and this room used to be a classic. You know, the yeah, Congo this place room. Hasn't changed much. Well, changed much. I mean, the whole casino is on the other side of the room. <laughs> I mean, to find the showroom is amazing. But uh, we're, we like being back in Las Vegas and, and working every time. But it's we're going to have a, our shows is as good as ever. And we're working as well as ever. And uh, there's a tendency to talk about your past. You know, everybody talks about our past. And, you know, I say, God, what was, it, uh, what was it being like being fired? And you talk about the old show. But uh, we keep forgetting to mention that... Um, we're still out there, and we're, we're still cooking. And we're, uh, we're as, 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 as good as we've ever been. In fact, we were stars before we were competent. I mean, <laughs> like most of them are. I mean, we were so hot, and could barely play the chords. I mean, we could hardly sing the notes. But uh, I guess when you're original, they don't care how good it is. Like the Wright Brothers airplane wasn't that good, even in hindsight. It barely flew. <laughs> <laughs> now, what do you have there, Dennis? 
his actual what he did on stage at Monterey. Let's hear at it. least a piece of oh, it. Oh, cool. Anyway. Go ahead. It's been a rumor, and there's been talk about the Beatles being here at the festival. I've checked with the people here at the office, and I have first-hand information. They, the Beatles, Lennon, McCartney, all of them, <laughs> were due to arrive yesterday, and uh, John Phillips of Mamas and Papas and myself and uh, uh, Paul Simon, we all went down to meet them down here at the beach. Figured they'd come in their submarine. But we realized right away <laughs> that they would be they'd be arriving at the airport. So we went out the airport and the airport didn't have the facilities to land a submarine, so <laughs> they're still circling up there. <laughs> very high. And uh, they <laughs> particularly want to come down. Classic Rock Station. 96.3 KKLZ.